want you to get your Bibles out, and I'm going to remind you of what we've been reading about the power of the gospel. Um, and and uh, in Romans chapter 1, we're not going to read that right now. I want you to actually go uh, with me to Colossians 1. But in Romans 1, I want to remind you of what we've read the last few weeks. That Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, before that, he said, I'm eager to preach. I owe you a debt, and I'm eager to preach the gospel to you, for I'm not ashamed. So we talked about this last week. Uh, that eagerness to preach the gospel comes from not being ashamed of the gospel. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he tells you why he's not ashamed. For it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God that leads to salvation. Salvation is huge, guys. We're talking about rescue. We're talking about deliverance. We're talking about a reversal of what the enemy has done. Salvation belongs to God. Right? You know, the Bible says salvation belongs to our God. It says to him belongs deliverances from death. Deliverances from death. Of course, we know that the greatest salvation we've ever received has been the salvation from the law of sin and death, the salvation from hell, the salvation from the death we were in. God rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he brought us into his kingdom. And that's good news. You were not just saved from something, you were saved to something. And our destination is even bigger than our former destination. This is important. And so when we were saved and sanctified, the Bible says it is the gospel that is the power of God. And he says, that's why I'm not ashamed of it. Because it's powerful. Then he says, here's why it's powerful. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So, I'm not ashamed, I'm not, so let me go back to the beginning. I'm eager to preach it because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God that leads to salvation. It's the power of God because it reveals righteousness. So you see the ladder that we climb, right? You see, you see the connection there. If you're saying, I don't feel very eager, I'm not very excited about this, I know you are, and I know, I'm, thank God I'm saved, but I, to be honest, I, I, I'd rather nobody ask me about this kind of stuff. I don't like to discuss religion, politics, or any of those things. Listen, this is not religion. This is not religion. This is life and death. And so, a lot of times we say, well, I just, you know, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not the kind of person that, that's, that really talks about things like this. Paul says, the reason I'm so eager is because it's so powerful. And the reason it's so powerful, the reason it's so powerful, the reason I'm eager is because I'm not ashamed. The reason I'm not ashamed is because it's powerful. And the reason it's so powerful is because it reveals God's righteousness. And so if the gospel reveals righteousness, it's powerful. So we talked about this last week, but the gospel is more than just about forgiveness. Thank God for forgiveness. Amen. Thank God for his great mercy that he showed you, that he did not count your trespasses against you, that Jesus died in your place so that your sin would not be counted against you. In fact, it would be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You guys all know that if you go far enough north, eventually you're starting to go south, right? Once you hit the North Pole, you can stay in the same direction. You could be walking in the same direction. And you, once you hit the North Pole, you're eventually heading south again. That's the way the world works. But you can head east and never catch west. 
There is not an east pole and a west pole, right? <laughs> so you can start walking east, and you'll be walking east for the rest of your life. I mean, you'll have to learn how to swim, but you're, you're going to at least be going east. Check it out on Google Maps. I'm not even lying. This is true. <laughs> I'm Magellan over here. I'm telling you. So this is important that Jesus, that the Bible says, I will remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, they will never meet again. That's how far it's come from you. You can't catch it. You can't catch it. And so when we're talking about this, it's so important that we understand that forgiveness is amazing. Forgiveness is important. But we said it last week, and I'll say it again. Forgiveness is like the judge saying, you may go. Your sins are paid for. They're not going to be held against you. Forgiveness says you can go. You're not going to be, this isn't, this isn't going to be held against your account. You can go. But righteousness says you may come. Like we said last week, if your record is, if you had a dirty criminal record and it had a bunch of lousy spots on it and, uh, you know, you, you were one of those people that they always had their eye on and all of a sudden somebody had your record completely expunged Every record of your crimes were, were wiped out. That would be wonderful, but it wouldn't give you the right to walk into the prime minister's office or the queen's office. It wouldn't give you the right to, to, to just even walk into the premier's office and say, here I am. Having a clean record doesn't give you the right to be anywhere. It stops you from being prohibited, but it doesn't give you the invitation. But righteousness has given us the invitation to come in. Because righteousness is a record of performance that opens doors. And friends, you and I had no record of performance that would have opened any doors. Only Jesus' record of performance could open a door for us. That's the door, that's the record that gets us into the throne of God. That's the record that brings us to his table. And so we thank God for forgiveness, but thank God for righteousness. Because it's the righteousness of God that's revealed in the gospel. Now we read this from Romans 10 last week, where Paul says, My brothers, I've been praying for my brothers. He said, because the problem is, is that seeking to establish their own righteousness, they don't receive, they neglect the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Jesus died that your sins would be washed away. But he was risen for you so that you would rise a new creation in him, a new person. Remember, we've said this before, but the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Notice this. It doesn't say if anyone believes in Christ. Thank God, you have to believe in Christ. But it says if anyone is in Christ. Have you ever thought about what that means to be in Christ? In him. In fact, Paul said, my life is hidden in Christ. It's no longer I that lives. My life is hidden in Christ. You can't find me until you find him. I'm so deep. This is, this is who I am now. So it says, if anyone is in Christ, and all of you who have received Jesus, and you have given your life to him, you are now in Christ. You were formerly in darkness. You were formerly in sin. You were formerly in death. But now you are in Christ. So when God sees you, he sees you in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? He sees you in Christ. In Christ. That's how we pray in Jesus' name. We don't use Jesus' name as a spell. Some sort of open sesame, abracadabra. 
we pray in Jesus' name. And when God hears a prayer in Jesus' name, and it is truly prayed in his name, it's as if Jesus were praying that prayer. How powerful is a prayer that Jesus prays? Right? If I, if I paid for something in your name, if I put it on your account, I'm not paying for it. You're paying for it, which is really fun for me. I, I can have fun with that. I don't know if you've ever had one of those accounts you get to just put stuff on, but that's, that's a lot of fun. You know, I just put it on account. We always had people, when I used to work retail, you always had that one smart mouth who'd be like, put it on account. On account of I can't pay for it. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're the same people that if they didn't find the price tag, they go, I guess it's free, right? <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. Because in retail, you hear the same joke every time, <laughs> once or twice a day. I'm sure, same in the restaurant biz, you know. <laughs> but through all this, I want you to go to Colossians 1, and we're going to see some pictures of, I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning, and I think that we may need more time after this. Um, I'm, I'm determined not to rush this because I want you to receive it. Um, but in Colossians 1, I just want to bring some points out to you through the Word of God. That, and I want to point something very, very simple out. Look, look, at, look at how Paul writes this letter. Colossians chapter 1, here's how he starts it. Now, these guys, I like their method of, of signing a letter. They signed the letter at the beginning. So that you knew who it was coming from. Rather than at the end. We always have to skip to the end and see who this is from. And then we go read the letter. But back then they signed the letter right at the beginning. This is who's writing it. You know that makes a lot more sense to me. In Colossians 1, Paul writes this letter and he signs it. And we could easily skip over that and say it's probably not that important. It's just a signature. It's just an uh, intro, formalities. But in fact, this first few words of Colossians are very, very deliberate and very important. Colossians chapter 1, Paul describes himself. I want you to hear how he describes himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's who I am. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I want to remind you what he said in, 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 to the Corinthian church. He said, I'm the least qualified to be called an apostle. We've all said, well, if you're least qualified, then you shouldn't be an apostle. Get out of the game. But, but we all know most of our Bible, most of our New Testament's written by this guy. Thank God he's an apostle. But he said, I disqualified myself. But then he goes on and he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So Paul understands, I'm not qualified in my own strength to be this. This is not my qualification. I, I shouldn't be this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I, 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 he doesn't say, by the grace of God, I'll try my best to do it. He doesn't say, by the grace of God, I'll call myself an apostle. He says, I am what I am. See, I wonder if, we, if we're really considering whether or not the grace of God is able to make us something we weren't. Do you know what I'm saying? Let me say it again, that, that somehow the grace of God has transformed us. God is changing us, so you are what you weren't. You are what you're not. You, you are becoming who he's made you to be and not who you've made yourself to be. And so he says, I am what I am. Not I hope to be or I'm training to be or I 
attempting to look like I am an apostle. Now there's confidence in that. And he goes on and he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not wasted. For I've worked harder than anyone else. But it is not me working. It's the grace of God working with me. That's what I want you to, to focus on today. Because we want to talk about how being righteous produces righteousness. Does that make sense? Jesus said you should seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And when he says all of his righteousness, we're talking about all that he calls right and good and just. His ways. Seek first his kingdom and his way. His righteousness. His, his, his truth. Everything he has, seek that. And all these things will be added to you. The Bible says, Paul said to Timothy, he said, pursue righteousness and godliness with all that call on God from a pure heart. He says, pursue righteousness. So hang on. If, if we've already been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, I've been made right. I've been made a child of God. I've been called into his kingdom and in the family business. Okay, so why am I still chasing righteousness? Because there's righteousness that is your status. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. And there's righteousness that is a product of your action. There's, there's righteousness that belongs to you, and then there's righteousness that comes from you. And this is what you do with your life. Are you living righteously? Are you speaking righteously? Are we walking righteously? Paul told Timothy, pursue righteousness. In other words, begin to pursue the kind of life that a righteous person would live. I mean, we're kind of like the, these, these birds that were created to fly. We're created to soar. We're created to fly with him. And, and, and then something clipped our wings. Sin clipped our wings. Separation clipped our wings. And we've lived for generations walking around in a pen. And then Jesus comes. And he enters the pen with us and he walks with us. Even though he's got wings, he walks with us. But then he teaches us something. He transforms us. He heals the clipped wings. He heals the generational dysfunction. He heals the trauma of our own sin and separation. And what does he do? He raises us up with him. And we learn because I am a bird. Now, you're not a bird, but for the, this illustration. I am a bird. I've been created to fly. Everything that kept me from flying has now been healed. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to learn how to fly. Now, before he healed your wings, you could learn how to fly. You could try to fly, and you'd never be able to do it. We could try to live righteously. We could try to live up to God's standards. We could try to do what God told us to do, but we never quite reached the goal. We kept falling short. Why? Because we hadn't been healed. We haven't been delivered. We didn't have the Spirit of God within us, but now we do. Did you ever read uh, Jesus' instructions in the Gospels and, and say to him, you know, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then you read what he says. He says, you've heard it say, love, you know, love your neighbor. I'm going to tell you to love your enemy. You, you've heard it say this. I'm, I'm going to tell you to go even further and do this. And you go, Jesus you're saying that the Pharisees put a heavy burden on people. Why is it your commands call us to go even further than them? How can you say, Jesus, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light? 
Seems like if I'm supposed to love my enemy, that seems tough. Seems like if I'm supposed to pray for those that persecute me, pray for those that persecute you. Don't rant against them on Facebook. Pray for those that persecute you. Pray about them on Facebook maybe. I don't know. Try it. Pray for those that persecute. That sounds hard. Jesus was painting a picture of what it was going to be like in the Spirit. He began to teach his disciples how they were going to follow him, how they are going to be led by the Spirit. And he said, when you abide in me and my words abide in you and my love abides in you, you're abiding in me, you will produce fruit. Isn't that awesome? We said it last week. An orange tree doesn't become an orange tree when it produces oranges. It's already an orange tree. That's why it produces oranges. So us trying to be righteous by doing righteous things is like, is like a pine tree trying to produce apples. It doesn't work. But if you are an apple tree, and I'm mixing metaphors because it's fun. If you're an apple tree, you will produce apples because you're an apple tree. If I am righteous now because of Jesus, I will produce righteousness. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he said, a good tree will produce good fruit. He said, a bad tree will produce bad fruit. He says, a good man brings out goodness out of the treasure of his heart. An evil man brings out evil. He says, so you can't, he says, you can't go to a thorn bush and try to find fruit there. You can't expect goodness to come from evil. And so what had to happen to us is we had to be supernaturally changed. We could not say, I'll be righteous when I do enough righteous deeds. Because you'll never be able to do any righteous deeds. You had to be made righteous. But now, there's fruit coming out of your life. Jesus has come and he's healed your wings. And he's teaching us, here's how you fly. Because here's the deal. We get a lot of Christians that have their wings healed, but they still want to walk with everybody else. We still want to walk like we used to walk. It's nice to know we have healed wings. And in the sweet by and by, we're going to use those wings. Hallelujah. What about now? Will you live like Jesus now? Will you live like believers now? Will we live like righteous people now? Oh, but I can't. Yes, well, you're right and you're wrong. You can't by yourself. Apart from him, you can do nothing, but through him all things are possible. Jesus said to his disciples, with man that's impossible, but to God all things are possible. And so I want you to begin to believe that, that I, I, have to, I have to think of myself different. The problem is, is that we still see ourselves as these flightless birds. We are righteous now. You can live righteously through the power of Jesus. You have a spirit of God within you, the spirit of God. And he says, Paul says in Colossians 1, I am an apostle. Here's why. By the will of God. God picked me. He says, and, I'm, and I've got Timothy, our brother, with me. To the saints and the faithful brethren, that's brothers and sisters, in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace, to God, peace from God our Father. Now, I don't know if you've read throughout the New Testament all these saints that they write to. If you were raised in a particular, uh, uh, you know, most religious traditions, you might have thought of saints as people that have done extraordinary things. Saints are people, uh, in, in our old religious thinking, saints are people that have gone far and above what we could ever do. But that's not the New Testament way of using the word. It's not used for these special people. It's used for the believers in total. 
The saints are the body of Christ. And if you've read throughout the New Testament, that's what they call them. You know, belief change calls for vocabulary change. When you change your belief, you talk different. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says, I believe, therefore I spoke. So when you believe different, you speak different. And uh, I know that we, uh, we, we sometimes have gotten too far into Christianese where we use a bunch of words that nobody understands. But I also believe it's important language matters. And I believe it's important that we begin to use the words God uses about ourselves. Is there anybody in the room that feels comfortable with me putting saint in front of your name? Like Saint Karen, Saint Tia, Saint Spiro? At first it seems weird, right? I'm not going to make a candle with your face on it. <laughs> but, you know, go to St. Spiro's for lunch today and see what happens. And is St. Spiro working back there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's jarring at first, but, but in reality, if we think that anybody could earn the title of saint, what does saint mean? It means holy one. Do you know what it means to be holy? Completely separate. And only God has earned the title to be called holy in his own work. What he's done through his blood is he has made you holy so that you've been brought out and brought up. And now you are called a holy one. And I know there are plenty of times we wake up and we do not feel like holy ones. And we go through life, we don't feel like holy ones. And so we begin to go back to the way of thinking is, I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. Thank God I'm saved, but that's not who I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Isn't that, isn't that the most humble thing we could say? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Here's the problem with that. What do sinners do? When dogs act like dogs... We expect it. When a human acts like a dog, that's a problem. Right? I didn't see anybody, you know, like licking your spouse today on the face, on your ear, and hope not. This is church. We have bathrooms downstairs. You're not fire hydrants. You know, we, there's a way of behaving here. You didn't come in with fleas, hopefully. I know some of you are like, your dogs are so precious to you. They're your kids, but they're not actually your kids. And so there's a difference, right? But if a child thinks they're a dog, like really thinks they're a dog, what are they going to do? Act like a dog. Sin or sin. When you keep calling yourself a sinner, you keep identifying as a sinner, you will keep going back to that way because you will say, it's natural to me. This is natural. What's interesting is, is that the scripture stops calling you that and starts calling you something you don't feel like. I don't feel like a saint. Sometimes you say, I feel more like a sinner than I feel like a saint. Well, thank God you are not what you feel. Amen. Amen. Our feelings do not identify us. In fact, I'll tell you a truth. Our feelings reflect a lot of times what we believe about ourselves. Our feelings often reflect outward circumstances. Our feelings might even reflect our own dysfunction. But our feelings are not the final say on who we are. Who knows you better than your creator? 
The one who created you understands you better than you understand yourself. And so I'm not what I feel. I am who he says I am. And so I'm going to begin to talk like he tells me to talk. If he says I'm righteous, I don't feel righteous, but I'm going to say I'm righteous too. Because if, I'm, if, a, if, I, if a sinner sins, what does a righteous person do? That's what's interesting is that when we talk about being a sinner, that word is tied to what you do. But when we talk about being righteous, that word is tied to who you are. Right? Because, I, you know, a sinner sins. Uh, you know, a, a sinner is a sinner, but a righteous person is not a righteouser. We are just, we are righteous. It's who we are. Now, what do we do? What would a, if a sinner sins, what would, how would a righteous person live? What would that look like? When you begin to say what Jesus says, what, what the Bible says, that, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We might become the righteousness of God. Now that we have become, I love that. He doesn't say that we might receive the righteousness of God or we might imitate it or we might look like it. He says that we might become the righteousness of God. You don't smell like righteousness. You don't look like righteousness. You are his righteousness, and that's amazing. So now, if I can see that. In the New Testament, they're very, very careful about how they talk to believers now. I'm going to call you a saint. You're going to call each other saints. You're going to call each other brothers and sisters, even though you come from totally different backgrounds. We're not going to say that person died. We're going to say they fell asleep. You say, oh, they're just living in denial. Are they? I'd say they're living in the truth, which is that person's going to rise. This is not the end. This is a doorway. This is not the end. That person is not permanently gone. They are with Jesus. And they will rise again. So this is temporary. And what do we call someone who lays down temporary? We call that sleep. So they stop saying, our friends have died. And they start saying what Jesus said. They've fallen asleep. Paul says, those that have fallen asleep in Christ, they're going to rise with us on that day when Jesus returns. They're going to rise to go to meet with him. We're all going to meet in the air. That's wonderful. Why are we so afraid to talk that way? Why are you so afraid to, to speak what the reality of Jesus is in your life? Why are we so afraid of it? Why do we desperately want to fit in so badly when Jesus has done so much to raise you out? How, how will those birds around you know that there's more if you don't get out of the pen and start rising with Jesus and invite them to come with you? See, it's not about being better than anybody else, because we aren't. But it's about Jesus saying, you are my light in the world. You are my people. Shine like my people. Watch what he says here. He says, I'm going to writing this letter to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are praying always for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. He says, because of the hope laid up, laid up for you in heaven. So the love you have for all the saints is because of the hope that's laid up for you. There's something that you believe that's causing this love to come out of you. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, 
of which you've previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Just as in all the world also it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you've heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Look at that. The gospel, since you heard it and began to understand the grace of God, it's been producing fruit in your life. Now, I know as believers, we, are, we don't want to just be people that are taking up space until Jesus returns or until we die. We, are, we don't want to just be here just to be here. We want to be here for a reason. I don't want to do what God called me to do. And, and maybe you've struggled with that and say, well, how can I? I, I, keep, I keep realizing my own limitations. I keep running up against my own flaws. Here's what he says. He says, the gospel has been bearing fruit in you. The gospel has been bearing fruit. Isn't that wonderful? Something is bearing fruit in me. Well, that, well, that means that the gospel is the power of God, not only to save me from hell, but also to save me from who I used to be. To save me from the, 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 the destructive patterns of the world. To save me not f- just from something, but into something. And God is telling us here that the gospel is bearing fruit. It's increasing even as it's done in you. I, I want to ask you, is the gospel still increasing in your life? Do you know what I mean? Like if you just think the gospel was what was the story we told you so that you would pray a prayer with us so that when you die you won't go to hell. If that's the extent that you believe the gospel, then all you're going to do is take up space until you stop breathing. But if you really want to do something for the Lord, if you really want to be used by God, if you really want to shine, then the gospel's got to keep increasing in your own heart. It's got to keep increasing. How would the gospel increase? You say, I already understand it. I already believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again. How does it increase? Well, he says, you began to understand the grace of God and truth. You know, Paul said in Romans that the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. There are layers of its revealing that you begin to understand, wow, I am that. I I don't feel like that. I don't look like that. But I am who he says I am. And he says I'm righteous. So that's going to produce righteousness in my life when I see myself as righteous. If I think I'm a dog, I'll act like a dog. But if I think I'm a person, I'll act like a person. Now, Some people have dogs that think they're people. And they can think they're a person all they want. They can walk on their hind legs and do tricks. We had a little shih tzu that praised the Lord. He did a little trick where he went on his hind legs, raised his paws, and praised the Lord. He's not a person. Very few companies in this town would hire him. He couldn't get a health card number, social insurance, passport, none of it. He's not a person. Right, So you could try to act righteous without God's righteousness, and you'd fail. Like a dog pretending to be a person. But when Jesus makes you righteous, and you see yourself as righteous, then it begins to, it all fits. It all adds up. Look look what he says. He says, for this reason, since the day we've heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power. I don't know if you really believe that's for you. 
Strengthened with all power means there is nothing God's holding back. All power. And really, I think if you, if you were to study this word out, it doesn't just mean all power is in quantity. It's talking about all, all sorts. Whatever you need, you're going to be strengthened in those areas. According to his glorious might. Now, you, you need to do a study in your Bible. I'm going to go on five rabbit trails, and that's okay, all right? You just, just bring me back, reel me in when I go too far. But watch this. According to. When you see according to, that's talking about what account are you drawing from. Right? When you see that in your Bible, according to means, means what's your source? Where, where are you going to get that from? Like if, I, if, if you say, I'm going to buy, uh, uh, we're buying a new house. How are you buying a new house? Well, it's according to our new bank account. <laughs> it's according to this. He, when we're talking about according to, you're talking about how, where you're getting that power from. Strengthen with all power, not according to the need. The power that God's given you is not according to the need. It's according to his glorious might. Wow, his glorious might? I've seen some pretty strong people, but I've never seen glorious might. We're talking about God's power working towards you. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There is an inheritance of the saints. And since you're a saint, you qualify. Because you've been qualified by the Father through the Son. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to see something in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 says something that I, it's, he's teaching you who you are. Ephesians 1, 2, 3 are telling you who you are. Ephesians 4 says, now live like you are. Ephesians 5 says the same thing. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this in verse 20, if you did not learn Christ in this way, he's talking about the old way of doing things, the way we were before we knew Jesus. He said, you, don't, you didn't learn Christ that way. He said, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. So if I've laid aside the old self, I need to stop using the old self's driver's license to get into places. I need to stop calling myself by that. I'm not talking about changing your name. Like I'm now Sunbeam Righteousness. That's my new name. <laughs> if God tells you to change your name, that's fine. But that's not what I'm saying it has to happen. But you lay aside that old manner of life. That's not you anymore. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And then you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So remember what I said when you say, I don't feel righteous. I don't think I am. This is why your mind needs to be renewed. Because your mind doesn't know what God knows. So your mind needs to line up with him. He knows better, right? Come on, guys. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Your new self has been created in the likeness of God. In righteousness and holiness. 
of the truth. That's you. It's your new self, and that's what you're supposed to put on. Put on righteousness. Put it on. That's who you are. Try on your clothes again. Why do we keep going back? Because we think. Here's what we tell ourselves. I, I, I can't keep acting like I'm righteous. I feel hypocritical. That's not who I am. I go to church, and I smile, and I love people. I'm, I feel like a giant hypocrite. I, I don't even, you know, because I, I know I've done these things, and I've done this, and I go back, and I fall into my old ways. So am I, who, am I, who am I fooling? I'm just pretending to be righteous. Can I tell you it's the other way around? Now that Jesus has saved you, when you fall back into your old ways, that's the fake. When you walk according to righteousness, that's you living out who you really are. The enemy flips it on us and says, when you try to act like a good Christian, you're being fake. It's the other way around, my friends. I am who he says I am. What's hypocritical is for you to go to back to your old self when you've been saved. You're a believer. You're a saint. Start living like a saint. The problem is I keep seeing myself as a sinner. Then the saint stuff feels far-fetched and fake and, and, a, and plastic. And, and it'll come across as plastic too. It won't have any life to it. If you are acting like a Christian without being a Christian, that's a problem. We don't need more actors. We need more livers. And so here, well, livers. <laughs> There's a reason it's called the liver. You can't live without it, right? He says, put it on. Put on the new self, and that's who you are. Remember, he said the old self died. Look at this. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so they have something to share with the one who has need. Thank God he didn't just tell you to stop stealing. He told you what to start doing. The gospel doesn't tell you what to stop doing. He tells you what to stop doing so you can start doing something. If you live all your life trying not to sin, you'll fall back into sin. But if you live your life pleasing God, walking as righteously, you won't fall back into the old patterns. Look what he says here. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the, according to the need of the moment, so that it will be, give grace to those who hear. Later on in chapter 5, I want you to see this. Chapter 5, he says this, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Do you see that your identity as a saint is what's going to keep you from falling back into that stuff? He says that doesn't belong with saints. He, see, this doesn't fit you anymore. This is not who you are. You're a saint. Would a saint do that? No. Do you see the problem with going around calling yourself a sinner? Would a sinner do that? Absolutely they would. This is what's natural to me. This is what's natural. I'm just an animal. I do what an animal do, does. He's telling you here, you're a saint. And that's not how saints live. Look what he says. And there must, must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, you, you could go into the... Um, 
study of what silly talk means. It doesn't mean you're joking around with your kids. It's not that. It's, it's talking about useless stuff, stuff that, that doesn't lead to any fruit. And we get into really dumb, silly talk at times. He's not saying don't goof around with your kids. That's not what he's saying. But watch what he says. He says, this stuff, this filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, it's not fitting. Who doesn't it fit? Sure, it seems to fit in the world, doesn't it? But it doesn't fit you anymore. Doesn't fit you. These clothes don't fit you. Who are you? That doesn't fit you. You ever get into a new crowd of friends when you were younger and you started talking different? Maybe you got saved and you started talking different? <laughs> Every now and then you'd have somebody that gets saved in a certain group of people and all of a sudden they'd be talking like a nice homegrown Saskatchewan boy, but when they'd pray, all of a sudden they're from Texas. Start, every time they start talking about God, they're like, and God just has been doing such things in my life. And you're like, you're from, you're from good soil. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Because you kind of become like who you hang around and you identify with these people. And so... I'm going to talk like who I think I am. I'm going, to, I'm going to act like who I think I am. But you know, this is not a power of mind. This is not mind over matter. It's, it's not just about thinking because you know what? A penguin can think he's an eagle and it doesn't help. Right? I could think I'm righteous. It wouldn't make me righteous. Jesus had to do that. But now that he has, I need to agree with him. I begin to say, okay, righteousness is being revealed. So because I am righteous, and you need to believe that about yourself. You need to believe that about yourself. And when, and when the enemy comes, and you have, and you have stumbled a little bit, you've fallen back this way, and he says to you, aha, see, that's who you always were. That's who you always were. You were, you were always that person. Call him out. Mm -mm. You declare what God says. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God is true. I'm righteous, I'm sanctified, I'm justified, I'm a child of God. And this is not the way a child of God acts, so I'm coming out of it in Jesus' name. There's a reason, there's a reason you don't feel good when you do that. There's a reason something in you says, I shouldn't do that anymore. There's a reason something in you feels just gross when that happens. It's because you got the Spirit of God inside you. It doesn't fit you anymore. That's not who you are. Now listen, I'm talking about what you're not doing. Come on to the other side. It's not just about what you don't do. It's about what you do. Watch what he says here. He's not done. He says, all right, that's not who you are anymore. He says, and we're going we're gonna to go further on. Just skip down with me just for the sake of time. In verse 8, for you were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. It doesn't just say you have light. You are light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Man, I love it. He says, you're light, so walk as children of light. And he says, the fruit of light 
the fruit of light, the fruit of your life, you are light. Do you see yourself that way? You are light, so now walk that way. You are righteous, so now walk that way. You are loved, so now love that way. Oh, my goodness, how many times does he say things like, beloved, let's love one another. What does he call First he calls you beloved, then he says, now love. Because we love because he first loved us. Saints, pursue righteousness. Children of light, walk as children of light. And I want you to get that so deep in yourself. I want you to begin to get out your Bible again and study, the, study these epistles and, and the gospels where in the New Testament here it begins to describe what a new creation looks like. And I want you to begin to shed the old self thinking where you say, Mm, that's, that's aspirational. That's, that's for those people. That's for them, but it's not for me. I've always had this problem. That has been crucified with Christ. I know some of us here, I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. I know some of us here have struggled with feeling like we're not living up to the rest of the Christians. You felt like a fake. You felt like a hypocrite. The enemy's told you, that's not who you really are, is it? They're going to find you out. They're going to find out that you're flawed. They're going to find out that you're broken. They're going to find out all these things. And I want you to know that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, that that enemy, Satan himself, is described as a dragon in that chapter, is the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brothers and sisters, and he accuses them day and night. That's all he does. But they overcame him. See, the serpent in the garden became the dragon in the book of Revelation. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What's your testimony? Now, we, when we talk about our testimony, we, we're talking about the story of our life that we tell of what God's done for us. But that's not exactly what he's talking about here. Think about what a testimony in court is. It's what you proclaim to be true, what you know to be true. Your testimony is what you proclaim to be true. It's what you declare. It's what you say about what, who Jesus is. It's what you say about what he's done for you. It's what he, you say about yourself. Your testimony has got to be the testimony of Jesus because the book of Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Your testimony has got to be, this is who he is, this is what he's done, therefore this is who I am. And you will overcome him, that accuser that accuses you. That accuser that accused the nation of Israel in the book of Zechariah. And when he began to accuse the nation of Israel through the, prophet, through the high priest Joshua, the Bible says God spoke up and said, the Lord rebuke you. Isn't this a brand I plucked from the fire? And I want, to, I want you to consider something, because some of you just think you belong in the fire. That's who you are. You're just an ashy person. That's where you live. And I want to tell you what God says. Isn't this a brand I plucked? I plucked them. They're my brand. They're my people. I plucked them. They belong to me. The Lord rebukes Satan. Satan's still yapping. He's still shooting his mouth off. The Lord rebukes him. In the book of Revelation, they overcame him. Listen, guys, you got to know there's still an accuser. In John chapter 8, they threw everything they could at Jesus. Don't you know? You, I bet you have a demon. You're probably a Samaritan. They were racist, too. Yeah, I bet your mom, you, you, your, your dad's not your real dad. Like, they threw everything at him. Do you know what he kept saying? 
I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. That's what he said in John 8. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I know who my father is. See, if you know who, where you came from and you know where you're going, nobody can accuse you out of, your, out of the plan of God for your life. See, because the enemy can't steal your mission. The enemy can't steal the gifts out of your life. He can't steal the call out of your life, but he can get you to lay it down. He's got no power to take what God's put in your life. He can't grab it out of your pocket. He can't grab it out of your heart, but he can get you to, to, step, to take a step back and say, who am I? I've seen parents can't even talk to their kids because they're ashamed of their own past. Who am I to tell you this? You know what I did, right? How can I tell you to stay out of this? I did it myself. You've got to begin to see yourself as the righteousness of God. Because when you know you're righteous, you speak righteously. Somebody's got to break the chain. Somebody's got to start to flap their wings and say, we were created for more than this. Come on, guys. You weren't just saved from the slaughterhouse. You were saved to, to, to fly with Jesus, to soar with Jesus. Thank God he came down to the pen where we were. He walked with us, but then he healed those broken wings. And he said, I'm raising you up and seating you with heaven, in heavenly places with me. Today, righteousness is more than not being who you were. It's about who being who you are now in Christ.